Welcome to the 10th episode in an old season of Amazing Race Recaps from Reality TV Warriors. My name is Michael Harmstone and joining me as always is the Canadian who is on the wrong continent, Logan Saunders. Good afternoon. And the lady who we do have to help on the podcast just to make sure she doesn't cry, Michelle Pierce Denovan. <laughs> I don't think I've ever done that once. I don't think you've ever cried on the podcast. I think you've no. got slightly worked up on the podcast, see, <laughs> last week and the week yeah. before. And spoilers probably next week as well. <laughs> and probably the week after. <laughs> but I don't think you've ever cried on the podcast, at least. No. Maybe through laughter rather than through anger. Yes, or, definitely or that. I think it was the first one this season where one of the, the show notes is just, Michelle loses it more than she has ever lost it before in a podcast. <laughs> no, I remember a year. I, don't, I really don't know when it was, but Logan and I, I had just lost it. There's an episode this season where you both lose it and you both lose it properly. <laughs> and we were saying last week after we'd finished recording that this is one of those episodes where I love it. It's one of my favourite Amazing Race episodes ever, this one, I think. Mainly because I love Singapore. Singapore's an amazing place. Yeah. You've been to Singapore a couple times, Michael? I have, twice. Both times at the end of cruises, actually, on Royal Caribbean. Yeah, and I was there for uh, was there for a week uh, a couple years ago. I met Alan Wu from the host of Amazing Race Asia in China, and I hung out with uh, JK and Mike from Amazing Race Asia 5. So yeah, the Singapore visit is long before Amazing Race Asia is even a thing there. And the other element of this is I've been to Geneva as well, so I know a fair bit about the bits of Geneva they were in. So this is a great episode for me, just being able to talk about where I've been. And I forgot just how many times this season that they have a clue initially, right, like within a couple miles of the pit start. Like the, this is, it happened last leg, happened the leg before, I believe. We had the Stonehaven one as well. Yeah, we had the Stonehaven clue. Oh, we had Cabo de Roca. It was a little bit further away, but not much. That's just one quick. It's a quick train ride. It's very, very easy to get to get what I wrote from Lisbon. I'm trying to think if we had any clues nearby in Morocco. This is definitely a season full of here's an intermediary task before you actually take some transport to the next place you're actually going. I think Mexico and Morocco are really the only two countries where we didn't have that. I don't, I don't think you can really count driving from Fez to Casablanca as a short distance. No, it's like three and a half hours. Yeah, but here it's, oh, just get to the jet d'eau, and for some reason Flo is the only one who has enough French knowledge to know that means uh, jet of water. Yeah, first things first, previously five teams continued racing through Switzerland, Flo and Drew continued flirting, leaving Zach and his own in a car train through the Alps, John Vito and Jill finally used their fast forward and ate their way through a cheese wheel to uncover a leg win. At a showdown to build bikes, Ian left first, disappointing Flo, who had a breakdown as her and Zach checked into the pit stop in last place. However, they were saved by the second non-elimination leg in a row. And during the rest period, teams were moved to the port of Oshi, spelt Ouchi, in Lucerne, Switzerland, and must now make their way to Geneva and find the base of the Jet Doe, or Faunen, to find their next clue. And they receive a mystery amount of money for this leg. The reason it is phrased like that in my notes is because I have been to the Jet Doe, when I went to Geneva, there is a tour on the boat, the voiceover is American on it, and he does say, this is the Jet Doe, or Faunin. And it makes <laughs> me laugh every time I see the Jet Doe. And I also do need to point out 
that only one person in this entire episode pronounced Jet Joe correctly, which was Flo, as Logan said, because not even Phil Kogan did. He pronounced it Jet Dew. And it is Jet Doe or Fountain. Yeah, I like how it's a very basic French phrase. It's just Jet of Water. Jet Doe. Yeah, Jet Doe. It's not Jet Doe. It's nothing else. It's Jet Doe. That's how they pronounce it in Switzerland. That's how they pronounce it in France. Well, that's how you pronounce water. It's O. O is water. There's no ambiguity on that. If you asked any Swiss person or any French person, how do you pronounce this landmark in Geneva, one of the most famous sites of Geneva, they would say Jet d'eau. I think, if I recall correctly, because of Canada being bilingual between English and French, with a, with a really with a heavy French influence, that on the first season of Major Race Canada, there was a contestant named Jet d'eau who was on the season. <laughs> <laughs> Jet and Dave, Jet and Jet Doe and Dave. I can't remember Dave's last name. Uh, it was, wasn't it Fire? Yeah. Uh, so it is John Vito and Joe leaving at 12.42am with Ken and Gerard at 2am, Derek and Drew at 2.14, Terry and Ian at 2.35 and Flo and Dak at 2.41. Derek and Drew say that they've cut off their alliance with Ken and Gerard now. And once teams find the Jet Doe, not Jet Doe, they find out that they have to now head to the Patronus Twin Towers in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, and they are given the flag of the mystery country and told to fly to that country's capital. And I also must point out, Flo and Zach are the only people who actually know that the Patronus Twin Towers are the tallest buildings in Asia at that point. I was about to say, I'm thinking Dubai now probably has about 12 buildings that are taller than the Patronus Towers in Asia. Yeah. <laughs> the Burj Khalifa definitely is. I wouldn't be surprised if there are more in Dubai. Well, there's that Burj Khalifa, and then maybe that hotel. (laughs) You'd actually be surprised to know that Taipei 101 beat it before the Burj Khalifa did. Oh. Yeah, yeah. well, and then probably a building in Shanghai, I'm sure, too. I'll quickly run through them. So Burj Khalifa was 2010, Shanghai Tower 2015, then the Macau Royal Clock Tower in Mecca in Saudi Arabia the Pingan Finance Centre in Shenzhen, and the Lotta World Tower in Seoul. Complete the top five. The Patronus Towers are currently number 13, as of the time of recording. A lot has changed in 19 years in Asia. <laughs> really yeah. has. Very. Uh, I was thinking, probably a very different landscape in terms of travelling on the Amazing Race back then. It's not quite like how it is now, where it's a lot more accessible to people from the West. Taipei 101 uh, took the record in 2004. The Patronus Towers were built in 1998, so they had the record for six years. Interesting. Yeah, that's quite the time capsule. And then that stayed number one until 2010, when Burj Khalifa was built. I only point that out because I have been to Taipei 101, so I knew that off the top of my head. <laughs> what's funny with uh, what's funny with Derek and Drew and they, they say oh, yeah we don't have an alliance with Ken and Gerard anymore everybody's on their own there aren't any alliances anymore they keep, they've kept saying this since Germany and I'm thinking what about Flo and Zach you dumbass <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure you still have alliances going on it's, the, it's definitely not too close to the end of the race because they're going to work very, very closely with Flo and Zach over the next couple episodes, especially this one. And we also get a confessional from Derek and Drew saying they forgot that it was their birthday. 
and they describe the Jetdo as looking like Old Faithful. Of course, me being me, I did look it up. Old Faithful shoots water at roughly a third of the height of the Jetdo. Old Faithful averages 145 feet and the Jetdo 460 feet in the air. Just reminds him of a really big Old Faithful. And on the subject of Derek and Drew's birthday, I did Google it. They are now 51 years of age. They are older than Ian was in this season. <laughs> I was about to say, I was, well, I was when I was watching episode 11, the whole time I was thinking, wow, 19 years later, and we were talking about how Derek and Drew were right around 30 when they competed. They were 32, I believe, when they competed. Yeah, and I was thinking the whole time, wow. They're probably right around 50, and the fact that they're older than Ian was in the season, that's a thats a tough leap to make. They are three <laughs> years younger than Phil Kogan, as we discussed uh, when we were recording last week's episode. I can't actually remember whether that was in the recording or not, but they are three years younger than Phil, and they look exactly the same. I'm going to be honest, I've seen a very recent Instagram picture of them, and they have not aged in the slightest. What have they had done? Genuinely. I have no idea how they still look exactly the same, but they have not aged in 19 years. I guess they can still model then. They probably could pass for, like, late 30, early 40. Well, just think, they were 32 in this season, and they definitely could pass for early to mid-20s. I know too many people at the starting line looked at them and thought, oh yeah, those guys are 32. But yeah, they're older than Ian was when they recorded this season. Well, I guess Phil would have a lot different material for them if they were able to compete. Will Derek and Drew, the oldest team in the race, be able to pull themselves out of last place after nearly losing to Gene and Sylvia on the first leg? I wonder how much worse their eyesight has gotten since uh, since they were on season three. Maybe Derek's contact lens uh, gets even stickier. They can't spot clue boxes as well anymore. I don't know how well they would do. And all the teams, when they find the Jetdo clue, head to Geneva Airport, only to find out that it is closed until 5am. As I said before, season three, after you get through the first half of the season, once you get to, I would say, the Glacier Cafe, the equalizers really ramp up more and more and more. And as soon as we get down to five teams, especially starting with the Grindelwald leg and and then with the Montreux leg, and here we are with Singapore, and the equalizers get to an extreme, more so than perhaps any other season the race has had. Two points on the Geneva airport thing. Number one, I have obviously been to Geneva, therefore I know a fair bit about Geneva airport. This is a a very well-known thing. Geneva airport does not open until 5am, and it was still the same thing 10 years ago when I went there. Number two is the fact that Geneva Airport is very, very, very central to Geneva. It's like in the centre of Geneva. And on my point from last week, the week before, about how expensive Switzerland is, they wanted the equivalent of £32 for breakfast at our hotel each. So we instead walked to Geneva Airport every morning and got breakfast from there instead because it was cheaper. Wow. When can you ever say that something is cheaper at an airport? Exactly, is the only time I've ever come across somewhere that is actually cheaper to buy food from the airport than it is to buy food from a hotel restaurant. Usually it's double, double the price at an airport. The other element of this is the fact that I'm 99% sure that we stayed in that Ramada that Joan Vito and Jill went into uh, to get directions. 
and to get help with identifying the Malaysian flag, which dropped them from first to last place. If there, if there wasn't an equalizer, John Vito and Jill would have been in dead last. Yeah, I think we actually stayed in that Ramada. I need to double check with my family, but I'm pretty sure that it was the Ramada that we stayed in in, uh, in Geneva. We drove across the border, as I've mentioned before, so uh, so we had to pay the stupid tax to use their motorways. Ken has a funny quote here where he says, oh, the jet doe is Gerard when he gets mad. <laughs> but two flow probably getting mad. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get some more. We're going to get a lot more... Uh... Flow material here this episode. You could argue that Flow's meltdown in this episode is worse than last episode, and the next episode you could argue is worse than this episode, and the episode after that is the worst of all. <laughs> it's one of my favorite Flow meltdowns, this one. I had completely forgotten about the screaming match that happens in Singapore. So, pretty much everyone apart from John Vito or Jill figures out that it's Malaysia pretty quickly, either from their taxi drivers or just generally asking people or knowing things like Flo and Zach. Terry and Ian get into another fight <laughs> where Ian says, oh, we're going to the Jet Doe. And he says it really, really loudly. And then Terry says, shh. And then Ian just just gets annoyed and says, don't shush me. <laughs> it's really interesting to watch Terry and Ian in this episode and next episode, I would say, because next episode is probably after the Dieselgate incident, the best that Ian comes across for the entire season. Yes, I would agree with that. So it's very interesting to see them not actually give Ian a horrible edit, because he does come across as fairly cantankerous for most of the season. Putting it mildly? <laughs> it's a good word, cantankerous. It is. I mean, he is the he's the old man of the season at 50 years of age. Old man in the season? Isn't that a Hemingway novel? Probably. I like how, um, oh yeah, Flo and Zach already get into an argument at the start of the leg, because when they open their clue, Zach says he wants to take a train to the Jet d'eau, and then Flo says, no, I want to take a taxi. We're already in last, we're going to lose, I mean, you want us to fall further behind? All their teams probably took a taxi, Zach. And Zach says, well, no, I want to save money, I want to take a train. Flo wants that argument. I can't imagine them trying to find a train to get to the Jet Doe at 3 o'clock in the morning. No, you do have to bear in mind as well that it is 64 kilometres from Ushi to the Geneva Water Fountain, as it says on Google, but what is actually known as the Jet Doe. Makes you wonder, how much money would Flo and Sack have had left over by the end of the season if they spent exactly those ways Zach wanted them to? They could have their own trip on the Royal Caribbean Voyager of the Seas, I think. <laughs> I can only imagine how much money taxis would cost in Switzerland. It must be an insane amount of money. Oh, God, yeah. Given how expensive everything else is in Switzerland. So it's Terry and Ina who leave at 7.50am via Zurich and Vienna. Derek and Drew book Flo and Zach seats so she doesn't cry. And everyone else flies together via Paris at 9am. And we get a scene on the plane of Flo and Drew sitting together all the way from Paris to Kuala Lumpur with a seat between her and Zach, just making it clear to him that he's not particularly wanted anymore. Yeah, Flo sits with next to Drew, then there's an empty chair, and then there's Zach by the window. Not even the camera operator or the, the sound operator was willing to sit between them to keep Zach company. I feel really sorry for Zach in the back bit of this season. <laughs> See, because he only, whenever he, him and Flo are together... They're fighting. Like I, for, I forgot how many times Zach tries to 
get back at Flo or engage a bit in the argument. He'll have some quotes saying, oh, I really, I really need to keep my cool. But there are times where I catch on, oh, wow, they completely censored an F-bomb there that I didn't notice before. Yeah, there's another one here, isn't there? Another one in, in this episode. Yes, there definitely is. There's a couple, of, I think. I forgot about with this Final Four too that all of them tend to curse quite a bit. It's a bit, there. It's a very profanity laced Final Four for Amazing Race, but yet I noticed the one person where editors don't even try to cover up that they used profanity is Flo. With Flo, they make it very obvious that she just dropped an f bomb. But with all their teams, you have to pay attention to the slight pause when they're speaking in a sentence or if the camera cuts away and you think, oh, okay, there's a, there's definitely an F-bomb or something else dropped there. But with Flo, they make it very clear on camera that, that Flo just dropped an F-bomb. Yeah. And I, I can't remember exactly when it's said, if it's this episode or next, but yes, but Zach has a quote saying, if I lose my cool, that's it for the team, we're done. So Kenninger had told when they land in Kuala Lumpur that it's quicker to take the train than a cab to the Petronas Twin Towers. And Terry and Ian are first to the route marker at 7.30am. They find out they have to get a local to take a picture of them with a Kodak EasyShare digital camera and get it developed with their clue on the back at the shop in Ampang Park Shopping Centre, a mile's walk away. I'm trying to think if this is the first sponsored task they ever did on The Amazing Race. I wouldn't know off the top of my head. I'm tr- I-, I was scanning my brain yesterday thinking... Going through season one, they didn't have anything except for specific buildings that you, you're indirectly promoting, such as the Louvre. Season two, I couldn't remember anything except for that hamburger joint that Chris and Alex ate at to get their fast forward. But in terms of somebody sponsoring the whole show itself, I think this might be the first one where it's where, where it's a pretty lousy task, too. Yeah, I was thinking, oh, my God, we can't get away from the cameras. Even if they're not a prize, they're actually in the race. <laughs> God. I wonder how confused the locals are when Terry and go up to them and say, oh, can you take a picture for, for me? Uh, take a picture of us in front of the Twin Towers. And then 10 feet away, there's a camera that costs tens of thousands of dollars that's running with them. And, <laughs> and they're thinking, really? You want us to take a picture of you on this small brand new digital camera that's going to be obsolete in a couple months when you have a high-end tv production camera that can take crystal clear pictures for you and has lens that's about 10 times as big okay i've just done a quick scan through i suspect that this probably was the first properly sponsored task because kodak didn't come on board until this season it was uh, american airlines and royal caribbean who sponsored season two yeah, then they're not going to have a flight-sponsored task in the first couple seasons, not until no. Travelocity comes along. So yeah, this is a, yeah, so this is the big moment, the the code the Kodak task, and luckily we're not going to have to put up with any more sponsored tasks until I guess until the Travelocity Romy Gnome in season seven. Yeah, it's quite interesting that they flew them to Kuala Lumpur first because I think nowadays you just fly them straight to Singapore. Singapore Changi is a much larger airport than Kuala Lumpur, at least to my knowledge, now. Even back then, I think that would have been the case. Given the choice, I think if I'm connecting anywhere in Asia, I'd probably go to Singapore because it's got a lot of flights from there. And it's a nice and it's a nice airport, to be fair. Yeah, well, it's the nicest airport. 
Yeah, I don't think it would really, if you're booking flights to Singapore, I, I, it's such a major flight hub now that I don't think you would even connect through Kuala Lumpur as an option. No, I think you'd probably fly straight from, eventually from Singapore to Ho Chi Minh City, and probably fairly easily. Yeah, I was thinking when I flew to Philippines from Europe, I had to connect through Singapore. Yeah, because I connected through to Athens. It was Athens, Singapore, Singapore, uh, Singapore, Manila. But they obviously just wanted them to go and, and feature the Petronas Towers, so they have to go to Kuala Lumpur to do that. And maybe they don't have a quick Photoshop in Singapore. Yeah, maybe. I can confirm that as of the time of recording, there are five different airlines that fly from Changi to, uh, to Ho Chi Minh City now. And somehow they had to connect through Kuala Lumpur on the way there. Obviously, there's no direct flights from Geneva, but you're probably not going to get many direct flights from Geneva. Geneva's quite a small airport in comparison. I like with the flag task, too, initially, that none of the teams wanted to make an incorrect guess. They're just, they just look at the flag and think, hmm, let's just ask a bunch of locals until somebody tells us, instead of other iterations of this task where teams say, oh, we're going to France. Oh, wait, that's Netherlands. <laughs> They just basically turn around and go, yeah, we're not going to be insensitive here. Let's just ask someone. Yeah, let's not say that this is Mauritius or something. There's a crescent on it. It's probably a Muslim country, and that's about all we know. And then there is a brilliant moment when the other four non-Terrian Eaton teams are getting together, waiting for their train, because um, I think it's I think it's uh, Flo who says, Ian's probably stopped to like bother some locals, and the editors immediately cut to Ian bothering some locals to try and find Ampang Park. Yeah, well, and the rest of Flo's quote is so mean. She says, oh, Terry and Ian are definitely behind us. They're slow and they don't get it. Ian probably just stuck somewhere bothering locals. I'm thinking, well, one third of that is true. Yes, and they're faster than you, love. This is actually, I was thinking, because Terry and Ian connect through Zurich on the way to Kuala Lumpur. And I don't know what it is, but Terry and Ian just always find the first flight as long as they get through Zurich. It's this hidden gem of an airport to connect through. I like when Ian's trying to find the Ampang Park shopping center. My favorite interaction is when he goes up to that window and there's a guy on the other side of the window and he says, Ampang, Ampang Park. What? Ah, I can't hear you. And just walks away from the guy. <laughs> I'm thinking, of course he can't hear him. He's on the other side of glass in a massive building. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to guess that glass is probably pretty thick. When there was, And the best part is that there was a bunch of people sitting outside at a restaurant about five feet away from him in the same shot. Why not ask them? Why do you have to go up to the window and try to hear a guy through really thick glass? Maybe Ian only trusts people who are uh, behind thick glass. <laughs> yeah, that's it. <laughs> And one thing that surprised me, too, is just how much they drag out the whole who's going to be the first team to get to the Ampang Park shopping center. It gets dragged out for a long time. I think they all get into Kuala Lumpur, get their pictures taken, and then they show Terry and Ian getting inside the shopping mall. Yeah, Terry and Ian have at least like an hour and a half, two hours advantage on everyone here. Yeah, I don't understand why so much of that footage was shown. And then we get a case of older people trying to use new technology with Terry and Ian walking through the steps on how to develop the photo. And I couldn't help but think, 
how could they not get the clue printed on the back? How would that be determined? Because what if the towers aren't in the picture at all and it's just a close-up of the contestants? They print their photo. I don't think there's going to be something in the machine that prevents it from printing the clue on the back. I think probably there was an unaired production thing where production looked at the back of the digital camera and said, yes, that picture's fine, you can run to the shop now. Yeah, they had to, they had to have checked with somebody. Because I don't think the shop could be like, oh, print the special ink with the clue on the back. Well, it wouldn't have been special ink on the back because it would have just been a piece of paper with the, the ink on the back. But there must have been an, an off-air production veto over it, basically. And I do wonder whether anyone uh, actually got rejected on this. Well, they should have done, if they were going to check them, they should have checked them at the shop, not at the actual towers. Made it harder for them that way. Yeah, maybe there was a producer in hidden in the shop who said, yes, you can go to the machine then. I would hope so, because at least there's some, it's not just, oh, take a quick picture and then, oh, we didn't get it. Okay, we'll just we'll just try it again in two seconds. Yeah, there was there was almost certainly an unseen veto on it, I would guess. I don't know why they didn't show it. They should have shown it. They should have had like the, the Photoshop person or put piece someone in production in there at least to show it. There must have been someone saying yes or no to it. It's just where. I guess they didn't. The there wasn't. There weren't any locals in Kuala Lumpur who were sufficiently trained to judge whether or not a team had both Patronus towers in their picture, and they had to use a producer instead. Having said that, Flo and Zach's picture, for example, was not one with completely both towers in it. For example, it was very zoomed in. Or maybe the goal by production was, let's just get this task over with, let's just keep Kodak happy, who cares? I think the judging on this may have been a bit looser than on other tasks. So teams must now take a train to Singapore and find Margaret Thatcher in the National Botanical Gardens, which is an orchid named after the former British Prime Minister, to get their next clue, and the hours of operation on it are 8.30am. If I recall correctly, getting from Kuala Lumpur to Singapore by train is not the most convenient. I have googled it, obviously. The train journey can take up to nine hours and it is not direct. The best you can do it in is two changes. Wow. Plus I know from what I've read, because I did my own research when I went to Singapore a couple years ago, that if you go from Malaysia to Singapore, you can be held up at the border for quite a while. Yeah. This was not a pleasant train journey for them, especially when flights are an option. And in fact, given how early they were in Kuala Lumpur, they probably could have gone back to Kuala Lumpur International Airport and flown to Singapore and still got there in time for the Botanical Gardens to be open. Oh, I'm sure of it. I'm sure there's just got to be dozens of flights a day from KL to Singapore. There definitely are now. So Terry and Ian find out at 8.30am that the next train is 11.15am and they know everyone is going to catch up. And Zach does try to stop and look at their photo and, <laughs> and flow her easy <laughs> on, which is a brilliant scene. <laughs> <laughs> if you were Zach at this point, would you just do things to annoy Flo just to wind her up a little bit? I think I probably would. And this is a brilliant one. If he this did. is such a passive one. It's, this is so great. This cracks me up every time I watch this season because it's one of those quick scenes that are so quick that you tend to forget after a while. But when the scene is about to creep up, you think, oh, right. I remember that now because it's this quick two second thing that I'm sure most people missed when it originally aired. But when the picture prints out, 
Zach, Zach takes out the picture and says, Oh, look, look at us in front of the towers. I don't think he even finishes his sentence. And Flo snatches the picture out of his hands and says, Yeah, the clue's on the back, Zach. Yeah, move, Zach. God. <laughs> but he just wants to take it out. If, if that quote continued, I'm sure he would have said, Oh, this is a nice one to put on the fridge back at home. He just wants to admire the beauty of the Patronus Towers and the fact he got to take a picture in front of it. But Flo's like, but Flo is, Flo is there saying, no, there's a clue. We have to move, Zach. I suspect that production probably sent those pictures to the races after the race. So they could actually have a proper copy of them rather than having the paper copy with their clue on the back that probably would have been taken at the next pit stop, if not earlier. And eventually, all the teams get on, do indeed get on that same train, and they're all amused by Terry and Ian being pissed off by there being yet another equalizer. They worked so hard to get on that one flight that was ahead of all four teams, and boom, an equalizer. Yeah, Terry and Ian frequently get on the first flight during the second half of the season. And Ken Gerard, it's either them or Ken Gerard that keep winning these flight battles over the course of the whole season. And then getting really pissed off when they then don't end up winning the leg. Yeah. And they get on the train. And again, this is another episode where things get dragged out quite a bit just because not much is happening in terms of the actual tasks themselves and the fact that there's so many equalizers that not a whole lot of it really matters until right before the pit stop. And so then we get a long train scene where Ken and Gerard are eating a whole cart of food on the train. I don't know how they were able to afford it. I guess on the Malaysia side, it's a lot cheaper. Yeah, I was going to say Kuala Lumpur probably isn't that expensive, especially in comparison to Singapore. Singapore is still cheaper for like food and stuff than the UK is. But you definitely, if you're on a budget, go for food in the Kuala Lumpur side than the Singapore side, I think. Yeah. Although Singapore food can be very, very cheap if you go to those uh, the centers. Yeah, they have a special name for them. Hawk centers? Hawk markets. Yeah, those are... Because that was the very first place I ate at when I got into Singapore. That does not surprise me. I, I don't even... I, I wasn't even trying to go out of my way to do that. It was just my first stop. I'm thinking, oh, this looks like a lot of good food vendors and stuff. And then I look at the price and I'm thinking, oh... Singapore's not too bad, it's just the accommodation that kills your wallet. <laughs> Knowing your preferences when it comes to travel, that doesn't surprise me in the slightest. If you think how opposite Flo and Zach are in the next scene in terms of accommodation, that is me and Logan. <laughs> <laughs> so they have to find somewhere to stay for the night because they do get into Singapore sort of about 8, 9 o'clock at night, I'd guess. And Flo refuses to go to the YMCA because she's not slept or had a shower in two days. Whereas I heard that you could get yourself clean, have a good meal, and do whatever you feel. <laughs> Correct. And yes, I did actually have to Google the YMCA lyrics to make sure I was perfectly right for that joke. Oh, for goodness sake. You didn't know it off by heart? <laughs> I didn't know it off by heart because I've not been to like weddings or anything for 17 months, Michelle. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we don't play it unless there is like a wedding DJ. Can I tell you my birthdays in the past? They have a theme, and one year I actually, the invitation, back when there were tapes, do you remember tapes? Oh, my God. Um, VHS tapes? No, like the audio tapes. Um, yeah, cassette tapes. The invitation 
was on a cassette tape. So I recorded me singing an amended version of the YMCA for a party that was all based on like oh, just I think village people stuff or something like that. But, yeah, I sent I sent that song with different words to all my friends and that was the invitation. So, God, I Michelle, you know my that. next question. Yes. <laughs> you know my next question. Have no, you I still don't. got it? That is a shame because I um, really wanted to make it our stinger. I think I do somewhere, actually, yes. If you still have it, please, 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 God. can you send it to me? It would be in the attic somewhere. <laughs> I don't know where I'd be able to find it. <laughs> I won't be editing this episode for a few weeks. You've got ages on it. Okay. I'm actually going in the attic today. I'll have a look. <laughs> please have a look for it because if you can find it, that would be amazing as a stinger. I don't. How could I play it? I don't even play it. I need a machine to play it on. That's that's tricky. Anyway, oh, God. So yeah, in the end, Derek and Drew and Flo and Zach share a room at a nicer hotel, and much to Flo's disappointment, she's not sharing a bed with Drew. And we get oh, remember how last episode Flo said, "I am the happiest girl in the world right now," and has a huge meltdown. Well, as soon as. Derek and Drew find the cheap, the cheap hotel for all four of them to stay at. Flo's very next quote is, I am the happiest girl in the whole whole world right now. And I'm thinking, this her saying that is just a bad omen for what comes next. She, <laughs> because she, there's going to be a whole lot of anger the next day. <laughs> you know how, um, how you said that accommodation is really expensive in Singapore as well? Yeah. Both times I've been, I've stayed in a five-star hotel for the price of three. So, you know, it's not actually that expensive if you uh, if you book it carefully. Yeah, you've got yeah, to book you do, do your research. months out. Yeah. 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 Fine deals. Yeah, two of the nicest hotels I've ever stayed in were in Singapore. And we got to talk about John Vito and Jill's hotel that they book. They find a cheap hotel. Oh, it's a shithole. I think it's going to be the worst hotel in all of Singapore. I didn't know a hotel could be that bad there. Genuinely, how do you find a horrible hotel in Singapore? It's incredibly difficult. I think the lowest I've ever seen a hotel room in Singapore is three stars. And this one didn't have a working TV nor a working air, air conditioner. You can't have no aircon in Singapore. In Singapore. <laughs> Jesus. Even when uh, we'll see this, I, I don't know if it happened this scene or next episode too, but Flo is fanning herself when Zach is trying to book a hotel. Or book? Oh no, no! It was next episode. But yeah, the, it's definitely, definitely very, very humid here in in Sing- in Singapore. It's so hot. It will probably have still been like high twenties at eight nine o'clock in the evening when they got in, because sunset in Singapore is pretty consistently between about eight and nine p.m. And it was dark by the time they got there. It's just the humidity is just insane. Yeah, when I filmed my video on top of Mount Faber, sweat kept going into my eyeballs, not because it was the temperature was particularly high. That was just pure humidity. Yeah, I, I have been in Singapore when it was 100% humidity before. It's not pleasant. See also Vietnam. We'll get to those stories next week. So once teams find Margaret Thatcher, they find out that it's the detour which is dry or wet. In dry, teams have to drive themselves to find Furutu Kang, Singapore's biggest TV star, in an apartment block, which could be confusing as the streets are all similarly named, the lifts don't stop on every floor, and the apartment numbers vary around wildly. In wet, teams have to drive themselves to Singapore Zoo and search for mermaids, manatees, or as they're known, really, mermaids of the sea. Once they find the enclosure, they have to put on wetsuits and goggles and swim across the enclosure to get their next clue. 
Trivia question, guys. Fua Chukang has been up to something in the last year. Do you know how he made worldwide news? And I've been sitting on this for months, what? so I'm hoping you don't. Oh, I think I do remember. Maybe not super recently. I've definitely Googled him. A couple of months ago, this happened as of the time of recording. We're recording in July. This was kind of May, I think. Was it something dodgy? No, it's amazing, though. Really? <laughs> yeah, it's it's one of the best things ever. <laughs> what? Yeah, I've gone to his really? Wikipedia page a couple times, but not in the past couple months. It isn't on his Wikipedia page, I don't think, because I did actually have to check this yesterday when I was trying to find the uh, the link in preparation for this episode. He has been enlisted by the Singaporean government to front their vaccination drive. And when I say front their vaccination drive, I mean do a truly horrible song. (laughs) And I have just sent you the link in our Facebook chat, and I will be putting it in this episode because it is everything. Well, isn't that the whole point of his character, though, right? He's supposed to be kind of, he's he's essentially the Mr. Bean of Singapore. Yeah, he is the Mr. Bean of Singapore, but this is both wonderful and awful in equal parts. If I recall correctly, the real, because uh, Foa Tu Kang is the character's name, but the actor who plays him, he is apparently quite different, very different from the character he plays. He is very, very famous in Singapore. They're not understating it by saying he's Singapore's favourite TV star. Remember I was with these two Singaporean army guys, because they do a lot of training in South Africa. So I was just chatting them in line, like, yeah, the only real guy in Singapore I know would be yeah, that Bo Chu Kang, and then I kind of know Alan Wu. I hung out with Al- I had Al- I had lunch with Alan Wu not too long ago, and they're like, what? The actor? So apparently Alan Wu is fairly well known, too. Among Singaporeans, not maybe not so much worldwide. Best thing is Michelle's been oh quiet for the last minute and a half. There we are. <laughs> it's because I've been watching it. I'm like, Jesus Christ. It's so bright and like it's what you'd have a video for like a four year old. It's so colourful. <laughs> yeah, Logan, you need to watch it after we finish recording it. It's amazing. <laughs> Thank you to Friend of the Podcast Bindles for uh, for sending me that at the time because it was a wonderful surprise and I've been sitting on it genuinely with a reminder in my calendar when we're recording this episode to go need to tell michelle and logan about that do not tell them beforehand because i want live reactions <laughs> um question you know what stresses me out every every season of amazing race when they go to places sometimes some teams take their bags and some don't so it always stresses me the teams that don't take their bags because i'm thinking they might have to go somewhere else after this don't leave your bag in the taxi you might go in a totally different direction. You might need to have to walk or train or whatever. But when they go into the zoo, I'm thinking, well, you have to come back out. Why don't you leave your bags out there? So why did the twins take their bags in? Like it, the whole bag thing really, it really stresses me <laughs> every season. Which one would you have picked out of interest? Um. Manatees, because I know what they are. I know they're the mermaids. It would be fairly easy to find them. I would have chosen the manatees too. I think I would have picked the manatees as well, purely because you don't want to try and navigate through Singapore's streets. It's very, very confusing. Whereas Singapore yeah. Zoo is a known location, and people there are going to know exactly what mermaids are, even if you don't. 
I stayed in an apartment in Singapore, and the numbers are indeed quite confusing and do not make logical sense. It brought back some memories of trying to find my own apartment that I stayed at. It's bad <laughs> enough that teams have to drive in Singapore, which I had forgotten about, and is a pretty mean twist, I have to say. But then trying to navigate to find a particular apartment block is pretty much impossible. It's a massive surprise that more than half of the teams do that challenge. And you can understand why John Vito and Jill are so disoriented, because they just spent an entire night's accommodation after a long train ride in a hotel room with no air conditioning and 100% humidity, most likely. In Singapore. Also, I am very surprised how well the weather held up there, because Singapore is not known for having a full day of good weather. Mm. Did it rain while I was there? I don't think it rained while I was there. And it had, I experienced rain in the afternoon, nearly every day. Yeah, I can't remember it raining in Singapore. Maybe I've just kind of blocked it out of my mind. Oh, and then, of course, uh, I have to backtrack very briefly, but I have to make point of this. When Flo and Zach are arguing over the hotels, when Flo is saying with Drew, she says, oh, why does he make all of the decisions? Thinking, I don't know how many decisions Zach has specifically made on his own, and I want to assure you that after this blow-up, during this detour, that I don't think Zach's going to be brave enough to make decisions on his own ever again for the rest of the season. No, she does say it again next leg. It's like, why do you make all the decisions? And it's like, I don't think he does. I think he's trying to make a decision with you, and you just go, no. And... What's funny is that when, I think it's when Derek and Drew and Terry Dean are at the Manatees together, that Terry tries to look over Drew's shoulder for the uh, for the map of the area, and then he just says, oh, actually, let's, let's just walk over here. And I'm thinking, wow, Derek and Drew just do not like sharing maps with Terry. <laughs> it's like this run, running joke that's gone on for multiple episodes now. What teams have had to pay for Singapore Zoo, do you reckon? No. I'm just trying to think of why anyone would pick dry rather than wet. They wouldn't have had to pay. Things are set up for them. They wouldn't have had to pay for it. Well, the zoo is fairly far away from the orchid garden, from what I can recall. Because I went to the orchid garden, I remember looking at the map thinking, oh, the zoo is quite far away from here. So maybe they thought, oh, if we just drive ourselves to to the apartment building, maybe it's maybe it was a lot closer by compared to going all the way to the other side of the island to get to the zoo. And for some reason, Gerard is really amused by his dangling coffee cup. I don't know why, <laughs> yeah. but he is. It is 18 minutes in the car or 17 kilometers by the look of things from the Botanical Gardens to Singapore Zoo. Yeah, that's what I mean. That's that's a that's a big distance in for sing for Singaporeans. Yeah, but it's almost entirely on the PIE and BKE, so it's actually quick roads at least. Chochukang is actually more out of the way than that. I think there really isn't much difference between Singapore Zoo and Chochukang. Actually, Chochukang is about two thirds of the way there. It's also very interesting that Flo and Zach and Derek and Drew did not choose the same detour option. Well, I assume Ken and Gerard must have chosen Dry because uh, it's all self-navigation, which they are killers at. <laughs> yeah, and also, if you just get the clue, find the exhibit of the Mermaids of the Sea and swim through their enclosure, maybe teams think, oh shit, it's going to be some sort of horrible animal. Yeah, maybe Flo, yeah, maybe Flo and Zach didn't do it because Flo was too scared. 
yeah, I don't know how I can swim through an enclosure of a mystery animal, not realizing that it's manatees who are 100% not going to be vicious animals. Well, the laws are so strict in Singapore. If a manatee were to attack any locals, I don't even want to imagine what the penalties are like for the manatee. Mm-hmm. I mean, just look just look at what happens with the with chewing gum. Yeah, especially if it was carrying durians at the same time. <laughs> if you see a manatee carrying a durian, like all bets are off for that manatee. Mm-hmm. It's it's on death row. It will be straight to the bad bit of Changi. It'll be getting Changnesia. So on the way to the zoo, Derek and Drew have another argument about directions, which isn't very birthday spirited. I know it's probably not their birthday by this point, it's probably like two days afterwards, but it's not very birthday spirited for them to have another argument in the car, ruining their own birthdays. That's what it boils down to, it's it's their birthday and, you know, they're ruining it for themselves. Well, what a shame. Maybe they were just angry they didn't get to have cake. Hmm. So, yeah, Derek and Drew and Terranina believe both teams get to the detour, finish the detour first. Yeah, they they finish the detour very quickly, unsurprisingly. And we get the infamous Terran Ian paper under, underwear bit. Oh, God. Which so they are known for. Flattering. Jesus Christ. Why bother? Just just go to Kmart and get the, like, the $1 undies and then chuck them. Like... Why the paper? What are they doing for you? They're thinking of the environment. They are modern-day eco-warriors, Terry and Ian. They just care about the planet. They want to have biodegradable pants, and that's all it is. Just no. They're crinkling. Like, does she crinkle when she runs? Like, the noise. What? Ignoring the fact that instead of chafing, you get paper cuts. Like, they're just caring about the environment. After there's a scene of them checking out of the pit stop in Portugal where Terry drops them, she says, oh, forget it, Ian. It's just garbage. Just leave it on the ground. But yeah, we get the paper underwear and they have, and then Ian's just shocked that Terry's willing to strip down right in front of Derek and Drew. And then Terry teases Derek and Drew saying, modesty, guys. <laughs> I'm quite surprised they didn't give them any sort of change of area for that. Yeah, that was just right there. Because I don't think teams would have had any indication that there was going to be a water challenge in this episode, not to mention two of them. So, like, Derek and Drew, for example, wouldn't have been wearing their swimming shorts or whatever. Maybe there was a change in area, but teams knew it's just D2 or in pit stop, most likely. Or I guess there was still a roadblock to go. So maybe they were just so eager to not even bother with the change rooms and just change right there because it would be, it would have been time lost. They should have given them a tent, just a little little tent, something. They usually do. Yeah. So, once teams have grabbed their clue from either the manatees or from uh, Future Gang, they have to now head to Sunset City and find the Fountain of Wealth to grab their next clue. Caution, unaired roadblock ahead. Well, it, they didn't introduce it as a roadblock. This roadblock is one that I have been personally witness to because I've been to Sunset City, I've seen the Fountain of Wealth, only because of this episode. There is a shopping centre at Sunset City where I had my lunch looking out over the Fountain of Wealth, and there are some very nice cake shops there. Yeah, there are lots of shops and malls in the area. What, what people don't know is that it's actually a bit difficult to access the Fountain of Wealth because it's right in the middle of the... Is it a roundabout? Well, it's next to a roundabout, but where you actually are in Suntech City, 
the shopping mall itself is underground. There is a door that leads out onto the Fountain of Wealth, but you actually have to go all the way through the shopping mall officially to get to it. Most of the teams ignored that and just found the access stairs on the outside. Yeah, that's what I mean. That you have to find, you have to get to, if, if you're just doing it from the public point of view, then yeah, you just got to cl- climb and get to those get to those stairs and then down into the Fountain of Wealth. So cause even when I was there, I w- it's funny because all the teams there are thinking, how do we get down there? And I'm, and I'm thinking, well, that's quite a flashback because when I was there, that's the exact same thing I said was, how do I get down to the Fountain of Wealth? <laughs> yeah, it's not the easiest thing in the world and you don't necessarily get that impression on, on the episode unless you've actually been to Sunset City and you go, shit, that's really hard to get at. <laughs> Sterek and Drew and Terry and Ian both grab the manatee clue and Ken and Gerard and Flo and Zach find the apartment. Then we get the ever so slight little tiff between Zach and Flo. Yeah, I guess the setup here that we very slightly skipped over is that Flo and Zach had no idea how to get to the apartment building. So they just saw Ken and Gerard on the street and they said, let's just follow Ken and Gerard all the way there. Ken and Gerard joke about losing them, but I guess they've had they have a close enough bond with Flo specifically that they were okay with letting her follow them all the way to the apartment building. It's, it's kind of funny too, because Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew were in alliance for half the season and then Flo and Zach aligned with Derek and Drew and then Flo and Zach aligned with Ken and Gerard, but it's two separate alliances. Ken and Gerard and Derek and Drew will never ever work together after the leg in Germany, but Flo and Zach can just, bounce back and forth between aligning with both teams because both teams are more than happy to help them or rather more than happy to help flow and then once they get to the apartments they got to figure out how to get to the fountain of wealth and then gerard talks to zach and then gerard says well if you can't read this map just give me the map and then i can lead you guys all the way to the fountain of wealth and then zach says well if we get separated then we're screwed and we're we're probably going to be out of the race because we know the pit stops are very close we do there isn't much wiggle room today when we already did half the leg. And then Gerard says, Oh, well, okay, I guess I guess you'll I guess you'll keep your keep your map then and we'll just we'll just go our separate way. And then I think it's Ken's saying to Flo, oh, okay, okay, have a good day, Flo. We uh we have to get going. Uh Zach didn't wanna didn't wanna give us your map, so eh, you're on your own. <laughs> And then Flo just completely freaks out here. And the thing is, Flo is right. It's just that her meltdown on TV is so extreme that everyone thinks that Flo comes off as being wrong here and that Zach was right about this. But it's like, no, Flo is right here. Give Ken and Gerard the map so they can just follow them and guarantee survival in this leg. It's another example of Flo is right. She just goes about it in the wrong way. (laughs) That's what it boils down to. Flo is 100% correct here in that as long as you don't think Ken and Gerard are going to screw you, and bearing in mind what we've already said about Ken and Gerard being very, very good at navigation. Perhaps the best. They might be the best, best navigators ever. Yeah, as long as you keep up with Ken and Gerard, you're absolutely quids in in finding it. And also, for the record, Sunset City, not the hardest place in the world to find. It's quite well signposted, at least. But the problem is she goes about it completely the wrong way and immediately just flips on Zack and defends Ken and Gerard against him. And that's where it becomes an issue. What's funny is that Ken and Gerard just laugh at Zack when he refused to give up the map. They're like, 
okay, dumbass, I guess we're just gonna I have have fun losing to John Vito and Jill this leg. <laughs> That's essentially how they react. And then once Flo starts exploding, Ken says, don't yell at him, Flo. And then Zack tells <laughs> Flo his defense of, well, well, what if we get separated? And Flo says, we're not getting separated because we don't know where we're going. I don't know how the, those two ideas are exactly related because it doesn't take much to get separated on the road, but I get Flo's point of, well, if they have our map, they're not just going to completely ditch us. Ken and Ger it's just not in Ken and Gerard's character. And then once they get into the car, Flo says, what's wrong with you? Seriously, what's wrong with you, Zach? Uh, and then Zach just plays along at this point, now that it's like 10 and says, I don't know. I don't know, Flo. I must have a serious problem. <laughs> There's so much screaming. It's so loud. I'm like, shut up. Oh, my God. And then Zach just says, Flo, 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 why, why are you screaming at me like I'm a fucking asshole? Of course, they don't air those words on TV, but if you follow his lips, I'm thinking that's definitely what he said. I went back and looked. It is 100% what Zach said. <laughs> yeah. And then Flo says, because you are. <laughs> and then Zach's like, well, great, 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 Flo. That's great. <laughs> and then Flo says, why don't you consult with me on a decision that can make or break the game? And then Zach jumps in and says, well, how do you know if it's going to make or break the game? We can just get our own directions to Suntech City. And then Phil Kogan has to jump in and say, oh, yeah, by the way, because we just watched a 10-minute fight with Flo and Zach, <laughs> Teams' next clue is at Suntech City at the Fountain of Wealth. Yeah, ignore all this screaming. The next clue is at Suntech City. By the way, we're on the Amazing Race. Yeah, by the way, this is Amazing Race and not Couples Therapy. <laughs> Have we ever had this much screaming in an episode before? Uh, well, uh, an episode other than John Jonathan Baker. Scott Flannery on the bungee jump? No, no, I'm talking about screaming at a partner. I don't think we have. I, I know what you were talking about, Michelle. I was just being an arse. I know that. It's, it's par for the course. And then in the taxi chart says, Ken, if you lose phone, Zach, that's fine with me, because Zach was a dick with not giving us his map after we led him all the way to the apartments. It's amazing on TV, the viewers are thinking, wow, Flo is just completely unbearable. How can contestants even like her? When amongst the contestants, Flo has successfully hooked up with a with a 32-year-old model and has charmed Ken and Gerard so well, who are usually super duper competitive, that Ken and Gerard are not going to lose Flo and Zach, not because of Zach, but because of Flo. Yeah. It's like I said. Flo is completely in the right here. It's just she does it completely wrong. <laughs> she goes about it so wrong that you forget on your first watch that Flo is 100% correct here. Yeah, and Flo is going to be 100% correct about what to do with the customs line next episode. And that's going to lead into perhaps a more vicious fight. <laughs> and it's just going to lead into Flo's permanent... Flo is going to be permanently angry at Zack for the rest of the season. I don't think there's a moment where she's happy to be around him. <laughs> the next fight is the one that probably lasts the longest. Because it's the whole car ride into Kaipen. Oh my god, I will have something to say then. So Derek and Drew are told that the Fountain of Wealth is the largest fountain in the world, and for the second time this episode, I am going to have to say this, it was at the time, it is not anymore because something in Dubai has beaten it. 
course. It's always something to buy. The fountain of wealth is 1,683 square meters with a height of 13.8 meters at its uh, at its peak. The Dubai Palm Fountain is 7,327 square meters with a height of 105 meters. So it's six times the height. Wow. Wowzers. And I have just had to Google all of those numbers because I did forget to do it when we were um, doing episode nine. I'm curious where the Bellagio fountain ranks in that, or if it counts as a fountain. So anyways, you know, John, Vito, and Jill eventually find the apartment building last place, and then Terry and Ian struggle with directions on the way to the Fountain of Wealth. Terry says she has a compass, and it only goes north-south, and then tells Ian <laughs> the that they're hell? going west right afterwards. And Ian says, you just told me it's north-south. How can we be going west? Yeah. <laughs> The Bellagio Fountain's height is 156 meters, according to Google. Its size is about 300, 304 square meters, so it's about three times the size of the uh, the Fountain of Wealth. Okay, so yeah. that that, was, that fountain that must have been put in place after after 2002 as well. Sadly, largest fountain in the world is not something there is a Wikipedia page for to make my life very easy with this sort of stuff. <laughs> Whereas the uh, the Jetdo is. The, uh, the fountains of water are and the largest buildings in the world. So once teams get to Suntech City, they find out that it's an unaired roadblock, which is that one team member must run into the Fountain of Wealth and grab their next clue, which is hanging off the rail. And you can see the roadblock clue in pretty much every team's hand during this. It is Derek, Zach, Ken, Ian, and John Vito doing this roadblock. Was it? Uh, I thought it was aired. I thought they say. Yeah. Well, they don't. They don't say it's a roadblock. Oh. There is no roadblock clue shown officially. There is no roadblock hint revealed. It just says go to the Fountain of Wealth. The clue box actually was slightly behind the camera where they all stand. I mean, if they're going to show them doing it, why wouldn't they put the clue in? I don't know, but there was a um, there was an unaired clue here. I've seen a picture of the clue box at the Fountain of Wealth, that's how I know. But the, the clue box was slightly further back from where the, the camera angle is, and it was basically just run into the Fountain of Wealth, grab your next clue, which you can see hanging there. In a season with a lot of easy roadblocks, this is ridiculous. <laughs> this is ridiculous, but it is a pretty cool one. And also, this is the sort of roadblock I would 100% volunteer for if I was in Singapore, purely because it was so bloody humid. It would be nice to cool hmm. off there. Well, Ken does a victory lap around the fountain. Yeah, he does a roll. <laughs> yeah, and, oh, yes, yeah, I forgot about his somersault. And teams must now drive themselves to the peak of Mount Faber, the pit stop for this leg of the race. The last teams to check in will be eliminated. And it would be remiss of me to not mention that Mount Faber is one of the most common route markers in the entirety of the Amazing Race. It's been visited by the US at least two or three times. Plus it appears in pretty much every international visit to Singapore. Because Mount Faber is, is not, um, it's not in a super busy area. It's a very accessible part of of Singapore. Plus, I like the idea where Phil says, yeah, this is the peak. This is the peak overlooking all of Singapore. And I'm thinking, I think that's a very generous statement for Mount Faber. Mount Faber reaches an elevation of 106 meters. I don't think I went up there. I did. It's 308 feet above sea level. I think the official actual um, number for Singapore is 48. Mm. After I stayed in my apartment for four or five days, and I switched to a 
hostel for the last couple of days and the hostel was right next to it was I think a 15 or 20 minute walk away from Mount Favor so it was very accessible and it wasn't in the it wasn't definitely in the any of the main areas of Singapore and I'm thinking oh so this is what Mount Faber is eh coming from Canada <laughs> I think what they didn't say is that Phil was very close to the Mer Lion up there which did house one of the uh, the glue boxes for Amazing Race Twenty Five in their Singapore leg. It was the Tourette uh, Merlion in their uh, in their search for the Merlions. Yeah, that would have been up there too. Uh, and Ian is driving the wrong way on the PIE towards the airports, but manages to find someone to show him the right way. And having googled the last three locations for Terry and Ian in this leg, he was quite far out of the way because the PIE stretches all the way to the east to Changi Airport. Whereas he wanted to go west, southwest, actually, towards uh, Mount Faber, because it's just across the uh, it's just across the water from Sentosa. Yeah, it's not too far from Sentosa, yeah. So Terry and Ian see John Vito and Jill pull up to the fountain just as they leave, so they know that they're not in last. And then Derek and Drew are the first team to check in, and they win a seven-night European cruise on Rocco Rubin's Splendor of the Seas. And we get another lovely flow quote here, because she says... Cause her and Zach and Ken and Gerard are about to pull into Mount Faber, and then Flo says, Ken and Gerard, I can kick their ass in a foot race. And the foot race starts. Zach is way out in front. No one's even close to him. And then Ken and Gerard overtake Flo within about 0.2 seconds, and Flo is in dead last in this foot race. So Ken and Gerard easily get second place. Yeah. Spoilers Flo does not beat Ken and Gerard in a foot race. <laughs> <laughs> So yeah, Ken and Gerard check in second, Flo and Zach checking in third, and Flo has a confessional saying they're a great team but need just a little fine-tuning. I typed out that whole quote too. We just need some fine-tuning and then we'll be good. They are burying Flo by this point in the season. Oh. It's really fun to to watch out for the little editor jokes before they just show, let's be honest, the screaming matches of the next three legs. Yeah, just remember, this was the second half of the two-hour episode, so we just put up with Flo's huge meltdown for a whole hour before this, and then she's had all of these fights with Zach this hour, too. And she's still in the race and is in the final four. And something I'm very surprised that uh, was actually allowed in Singapore was John Vito driving topless. I was I was actually, I wrote that down, too. I'm thinking, really? John Vito, do you know what laws are like in Singapore? You think you can just drive shirtless around the, around the country slash city? We know that they're told in more recent seasons that, you know, there's certain cultural expectations. I'm very surprised that he wasn't told by his camera crew, yeah, you need to put your shirt back on when driving, if for no other reason than the fact that the, the seatbelt will have been very hot and probably burnt onto his skin. Yeah, he's just going to have this big seatbelt bruise all on his body. I would not have wanted to peel that seatbelt off my chest. Oh, maybe that's why they lost to Terry Neen at the end. They probably both pulled into the parking lot at the same time, but John Vito had to spend a minute just scraping the seatbelt off of his chest because of the sweat. It <laughs> just stuck to him really, really hard. It's like a trap from Singaporean Saw. <laughs> peel the seatbelt off your laugh. <laughs> so in the end Terry and Ian checking in fourth with John Vito and Jill checking in last and they are eliminated from the race and in another wonderful bit of unintentional editor's foreshadowing we get the final confessional from John Vito and Jill saying their future is still the same they're going to get married, they're going to have children and grandchildren you messed that up 
they said they're going to have children, then grandchildren, and get married. And then John Vito had to correct her on the order. Yeah, their future's still the same regardless. And if you know anything about Amazing Race 11 when they return, you'll know that that is not what their future was. Mm, Nope. The only way they had children is if Jill had an abortion or something or put up a kid for adoption that we didn't know about. And in fact, I did find out when I was researching this that they did get back together after season 11, briefly. Of course they did. What do you mean abortion? Were they Had they broken up before 11 and then they got back together after 11? Yeah, they went into season 11 as exes. And But but then you also talked about giving a baby up for adoption. Logan was joking. Okay, Jesus. I'm like, what the hell? There was too much information <laughs> in that little, little second and I'm like, no, 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 I don't know about any of this. Let's unpack this. Yeah, the important thing yeah. is when they came back for, when they came back for All Stars, they were exes but still officially good friends, but you know, they probably weren't. Then they got back together after season eleven. Then they broke up. Now Jill is married to someone else. I don't know whether John Vito is. Okay. And uh it's funny when Terry and Ian pull into the pit stop or Ian's like, right there, Terry, I see it. I see the flag. Can you be a little more cooperative? And then Terry just chimes in and says, Uh, can you? And then he says, when I see the flag, I see it. When I see it, I see it. <laughs> John Vito has changed, looking at his Facebook. Yeah, I remember looks creeping on his profile, too, uh, a couple months ago. Good old Vito. John Vito and Jill were a very nice couple. They were a very pleasant presence on the season, and I think they, they kind of work within this Final Five dynamic. They didn't need that much airtime, especially... Especially in the first four episodes of the season when they would be shown doing a task for 0.7 seconds. But they had their little mo- cute moments here and there and were a very pleasant dating couple to watch. Hmm. I think of this final five, though, they were the right team to go. Can you imagine losing anyone else in this final four? Given what happens no. next episode? No. Imagine Terry going home before two Vietnam episodes. That would have been such a wasted opportunity there. Or Flo and Zach going home, that would have really sucked given what happens the rest of the season. Imagine the producers as soon as Terry and Ian checking in fourth just going, yes, we get a brilliant storyline coming next episode, purely because we get to make Ian relive all his trauma of being an 18-year-old. Yeah, that's exactly what they're saying when they're high-fiving each other. I really wouldn't be surprised (laughs) if they were actually... Not obviously doing it as basic as I said then, but I really wouldn't be surprised if they were excited when Terry and Ian checked in, knowing the next location was Vietnam, and it's kind of going to be such a huge storyline for Terry and Ian in the next two episodes. And well, think of it this way. If Terry and Ian was the Vietnam War, you have Ken and Gerard, who are by far the biggest comedic relief. You have Flo and Zach, who are argue, who are fighting more than maybe any other team ever has at this point in the race, with the biggest meltdowns we've ever seen in all three seasons. And then Flo and Zach and Derek and Drew have the tightest alliance going into the Final Four, perhaps an even tighter alliance than Taryn Will and Chris and Alex had the previous season. So losing any of those four teams would have greatly impacted what happens in the next episode and for the final three episodes of the season. Yeah. So, next time, there is a gigantic storm in Vietnam, more Flo and Zach fighting, and a really difficult roadblock sees teams risk elimination. Have you got anything else you want to say about this episode? No, all good. 
Nope. I cannot wait to talk about the next one, because it's probably one of my favorite Amazing Race episodes of all time, or favorite reality TV episodes of all time. It's really fun on a rewatch, this next episode. This one was a really good one as well, and I do remember loving this episode, and I still love this episode, but next episode's a really fun one as well. Mainly because, you know, we get another pretty iconic flow meltdown, and some pretty iconic Terry and Ian moments. And I've made no secret of the fact that those are probably my two favourite teams of the season. So, it's a good episode next one. So, thank you for listening to our Amazing Race recap. We'll be back next week to recap episode number 11. Don't forget you can contact us on Twitter, Facebook, YouTube or Instagram where we are RTV Warriors. Or you can email us and contact at rtvwarriors.com. Logan is on Twitter at LogSuperQuacky. Michelle is Bear3333333333. I'm OJ Harmstone. Logan and I are also back every Wednesday for VS Tomorrow, Oregon. See you next week. Peace out and just chill till the next episode. Bye. Don't play, play. I got my shot. Get yours too, okay? Your father never did you. <laughs> <laughs>